Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to episode 191 of Geek Time Radio and this week I have with me Ross. Hi Dave, how's it going? I'm alright, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Another smooth intro. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not that we're having issues with the, the things again. It always happens when you're on, it's you. I'm sure. I can only apologise. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it was before Christmas I think when you were last on, so um, yes. what have you been doing the last few weeks? A whole lot. I, I think I talked to you last time about a couple of bits on netflix i think um yeah. i was watching you at the time yeah so use this sort of stalker drama and yeah it was really good really good piece of tv really good performances yeah um, yeah definitely worth a go if you're into that sort of crime i guess it's good fun that series it's the it's a greg Volanti series about a guy who kind of starts to stalk this world it's really interesting how they they put that together as well because you're kind of backing the stalker Jeff. that's it yeah and it, it, it's problematic in that way but also really interesting because it, it's got that thing about Breaking Bad where he's a bad guy right but yeah. you kind of you're kind of endeared to him yeah. in a way but I mean there are a collection of people apart from him who just keep making very silly decisions yeah. um, which I, I normally don't like in TV programs but actually it was quite it's quite good in this because it you know just because there there are other things going on um, yeah really yeah, good yeah Joe I mean is a, is a fairly terrible person but he's sort of terrible but trying to do the right thing but doing it in the very very wrong way yeah you can see a a kernel of goodness in there that's forced that's making him do these make these terrible 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 decisions yeah and whereas Beck is not particularly who is the object of his affection is kind of very flaky and just just kind of annoying (laughs) it's interesting because I don't think I don't think there are good people in the show or at least of the main people but they're sort of not necessarily bad people but their their issues and their problems are all very different from one another which i think is really interesting mm. so his issues are much more obvious surface level problems yeah whereas the other people in it perhaps are, have got a bit more sort of serious yeah yeah sort of personality quirks and things that are, are you know a bit like you say flaky or whatever it is yeah, yeah, yeah it's good the second season they have cast a new female lead for the second season not not that yes. want to go into what happens with with beck and stuff but he has a new object of his affection in the uh, in the second season and it's a girl called victoria pedrini who what's interesting is the thing you've probably seen her in is haunting of hill house if you've watched that yes uh, she played she played nell 
in Haunting of Hill House. But <laughs> this is actually only this this main role in the second season, and I suspect it will only be for one season. If, yeah, you know, because it seems that he's going to be the constant, and the the female lead will change every season by the looks of things. So she's joining in the second season. This is only her third major role out of college. Mm. So she landed Haunting of Hill House first. She's got this. And the next major thing she's in is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino movie. So, you know, not doing badly. She's obviously (laughs) impressed somebody somewhere. Uh, It seems like perhaps perhaps there's um, sort of a pool of... Because Hill House is Netflix as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So perhaps they pass around some names first from internally. Maybe, maybe. Um, She's also going to be in the anthology series uh, Amazing Stories, which is Mm. Apple's new anthology series i wondered if this would be an anthology series like sort of like fargo where every season is different because i couldn't see how yeah it builds to a point where you're not sure how it ends with anybody coming out well, still being yeah. around <laughs> yeah. but um yeah it, it's it's really interesting I, I definitely recommend to watch apparently it's based on a series of books i was told which uh, i'm interested in reading that but yeah apparently they're really good as well yeah it is it's based on a series of novels i really enjoyed the first season of it it's kind of it's a bit trashy tv but i i did enjoy it it was really good fun I'm sure we mentioned last time as well the second season of The Punisher, um, which uh, I just finished last night, actually. Uh, was really terrific. I, I think we've got another season of Jessica Jones, right? Yeah. But at least if this is a goodbye to Frank Castle and a couple of the other, you know, the, yeah, the yeah. punisher characters, if this is the last one, then, uh, yeah, I think it's done really well. I'm really uh, very pleased with it. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a fairly reasonable place to end it if they are going to have to end it there. But, yeah. uh, I, I mean, I, I hope we see more because I think... Me too. I, I think... John Berthnold's amazing in that role and does such a good job with it. And I really enjoyed the second season. I know there were a few issues some people have with some of the characterizations and stuff, but I really yeah. enjoyed it. I, I thought it was really good. Um, that's true. Also on um, Netflix, I watched the uh, Fire Festival documentary, which yeah. you've no doubt heard about. <laughs> Yes, um, as, I, as I said, my my friend, uh, my my friend Chris, who is a screenwriter, and uh, described it. Somebody said, "Oh, what's it like?" And he said, "It's a bit like watching a cockroach eating eating a bag of maggots." Was <laughs> was how he described it because everybody in it is awful. The people going are awful. The people that are in control of it are awful. Yes. It's just all awful. <laughs> yeah, there are some very common themes in those three things about people making some terrible decisions. Like there's a girl in the Punisher who makes some very very bad decisions yeah. and Fire Festival end to end so basically the idea is that there is a um, company that build an app for hiring talent for whatever it might be appearances yeah. and what have you uh, and they create a festival in order to promote said app right but the, the festival goes wildly out of proportion and they promise a lot and struggle, yeah. struggle to deliver any of it um, and it's very famously topical right now and uh, I think the guy ended up going to prison the main guy but it's a really interesting story about how things got from let's hold a festival to this situation where there's people you know they've got thousands of people coming to this island where there's no tents and stuff for them and everybody who's built the things around the festival didn't get paid any money for any of it and yeah uh, yeah, it's really interesting it's an enjoyable sort of disaster until you realize that then until you remember that actually these are real people with 
real yeah. lives and then it becomes quite dark yeah but yeah re- definitely worth a watch it's a fascinating sounding documentary I haven't got to it yet but uh, apparently I think Hulu did one at the same time as Netflix as yes. well there's two, there's two competing documentaries but we only get obviously the Netflix one because we don't have Hulu ever here uh, whether the, that one will show up somewhere maybe as well but uh, but yeah I, I am very interested in watching it because it sounds fascinating I don't know much about the Hulu one but there no. is a point uh, early on in the sort of festival where they film a promo and the promo is very like golden beaches and models and parties and this is what you can expect from our festival which obviously doesn't happen yeah Uh, but the documentary is made by the same production company that made the trail Um, right so uh i guess that's (laughs) problematic but also interesting as to did, you know well, did they did they did, not get paid either possibly no I, I did possibly not but also they don't they don't shy away from their part in it right um, which okay. i think's good and yeah I don't, I don't know i just that that's interesting yeah i mean i this don't is, know if that skews it in any way this, this is this is intriguing as well because i mean there's been talk of the models that were hired for that video for that promo video getting yeah. in trouble as well because obviously they were cross promoting it on social media and all that sort of stuff and whether they should take some of the responsibility for it and i kind of like well i can see what you're saying but you know if you're the company that was hired to advertise this festival was is there any reason to believe that it wouldn't have happened yeah. at that point and the models were just hired to do a job you know to hire to turn up and look pretty as models yeah. are hired to do and you know? in many ways because of the um surrounding sort of buzz about it they, they did their job spectacularly and yeah, um, yeah. yeah really achieved something quite quite impressive and quite magnificent um unfortunately it just so happened they couldn't live up to it yeah it, it was awful all round. but yes i i will go and watch that at some point when i've i've got some time i will sit down and watch that and then finally there was some super bowl trailers they did some sports some people did some sports <laughs> yes and in so, the middle of the sports they showed something about some films yes they did their sort of rugby with heavy gear on and uh, <laughs> then they showed some trailers which is what we're particularly interested in little extra clips of Endgame, the yeah. Marvel film, so uh, the the new Avengers film. Not that they're giving an awful lot away with that, and they're very careful about what they actually do. There was some story floating around about whether they'd edited a character out of one of the shots. Um, oh, right. Where there's there's a group of four of them walking across like a sort of grass yes. area. And there was somebody saying, oh, they've edited somebody out. And I, I'm not entirely convinced by that as an argument. I, I don't think they have. I mean, maybe they have, but I don't think they have. Yeah, I quite enjoy. So, so some people I know won't, won't watch trailers because of any any sort of plot giveaway mm. at all. And I quite like that. I think because of Marvel and because of Ragnarok specifically, um, we live in a, a time where you can't really trust what you see in trailers because they can just yeah. edit someone out or in or an eye out or in, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I really like that because because it feels very like here's the sort of tone but don't trust any of this stuff yeah yeah which feels good and I think Marvel do that very very well I'm not overly concerned with the Marvel movies I have more of an issue with some of the DC ones like some of the the reveals that they gave away in the DC trailers were bad but I have less of a problem with the Marvel ones because I kind of trust that they're going to hide anything that's that's too out there so we'll we'll see but um, they don't give a lot away in either of these and then also there was Captain Marvel which gave a bit more of 
the Captain Marvel stuff. Again, that that is another one which I'm kind of diff- it's difficult to to work out exactly how that is is structured because she's sort of in space and then not in space and then she's got a memory and not got a memory seemingly and yeah. she, you see a training with Jude Law and I so I don't know I I can't quite figure out exactly how that all pieces together yet but uh, I'm thoroughly looking forward to that I do wonder if um, Scarlett Johansson looked at that and, and when when they told her that they were going to do a Captain Marvel movie she's she must have been like really ten years <laughs> I've been plugging away at this franchise and she's the first one to get a solo movie. <laughs> Nobody even knows who this is. <laughs> yeah, somebody that nobody has ever heard of and has come up out of nowhere. I, I would have been slightly miffed if I was Scarlett Johansson. If anything, anyway. they could have done the Black Widow movie on so much less of a budget. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so much less. But uh, but yeah, so uh, I, I am looking forward to that though. I'm looking very much looking forward to that. Yeah, we also got some uh, trailers for Hobbs and Shaw, which is a Fast and Furious spin-off. That looked pretty funny, actually. I've never seen a Fast and Furious film, but that looked pretty good. Yeah. Um, Elite Battle Angel, which is the um, James Cameron thing about the manga, about a little robot girl. Yeah, I mean, ma- manga to live action never translates well. I'm, uh, but I'm, I'm interested in this because it is James Cameron. It's Robert Rodriguez as well. I think he's actually yes. directing it, but it's James Cameron manipulating the strings behind the scenes. By the sounds of it, uh, we might be talking to somebody involved in Elite Battle Angel fairly soon. So uh, we might have more on that in an interview. And finally, there's a Toy Story trailer, which I mean is great. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I. I I literally watched that just before we started and very very funny the idea of putting key and peel together as the uh, the, yeah. the two fairground prize toys i i thought was genius because i yeah. love those guys they're hilarious if you've also never like, seen the um, key and peel show it's very funny yeah very good um bo peep got a bit more at the start than we've i think she spoke more in the third in this trailer <laughs> than i've ever seen her speak in there yeah so. Yeah, so uh, so I think Bo Peep's going to be interesting. They've they've altered her a little bit as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's uh, that's everything from me, Dave. What have you been up to? Well, uh, this week Mayans MC finally made its way onto the UK TV screens. In actual fact, if you want to watch, I think the first eight episodes. For some reason, not the first ten episodes. I can only see eight right. on are on iPlayer, but uh, they're putting them out two episodes a week by the looks of things on normal broadcast TV. But they are actually first eight episodes are up on iPlayer. I don't know why they have not put the last two up. I'm not sure what the reason for that is, but they are there. Uh, this, of course, is a spin-off to Sons of Anarchy. It's set after the end of Sons of Anarchy, and it's in a slightly different place, although you do see some of the Sons of Anarchy characters. They do pop up. Follows a guy who is part of the Mayans motorbike gang. They are on the border of Mexico and California. He is a prospect, so he's not a full member. His brother is a full member and he's a prospect trying to get into the gang. Although very early on, it becomes fairly apparent that he's been in prison and he's now out of prison and there is maybe something going on with that as well. Mm. There's sort of that going on and uh, they're tied up with a drug cartel doing protection for drug cartel this side of the border because they are literally right on the border. It's really about that and about the, the same sort of things that you used to get in Sons of Anarchy, really. You know, they're oh, kind right. of getting into getting into trouble. <laughs> it's not as good 
good Sons of Anarchy at the moment. I, I mean, it's an interesting story. I'm enjoying the characters. I don't think the characters are quite as well-defined as the Sons of Anarchy ones were, but it, that could be a little bit unfair because Sons of Anarchy ran for, what, six seasons, seven yeah, seasons, something like that. Days. So, so I, it is very, very early on. I've only seen the first two episodes so far, so maybe that will come out as the, the season goes on. But I am enjoying it. I, I'm finding it really interesting. We'll see how it goes as I go through it. Incredibles 2 I watched, which I know I'm very, very late to, but I finally <laughs> got around to watching that because it came up on Sky this week. Really great. Thoroughly yeah. enjoyed that. Um, I mean, I, I don't think anything could beat the genius that is the Incredibles, but um, <laughs> it's not kind of like Toy Story where they just get better and better and better. I, th- I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I don't think it was as good as the original, but I still thoroughly enjoyed it. Very, very good, entertaining film. Then a couple of new shows. Russian Doll. Well, it's got kind of Groundhog Day elements to it. It stars Natasha Lyon, who you'll know from Orange is the New Black. She plays yeah. Nikki. Uh, she plays Nadia. She's the guest of honour at this birthday party in New York City. It's all these kind of bohemian, hipstery kind of people <laughs> at, this, at this party. She finds herself stuck in a sort of time loop where... Every time she leaves the party, she ends up getting killed in some way oh, and gosh. then finds herself back in the bathroom at the party. And I've, I've watched the first two episodes so far. The first episode, I wasn't quite sure. Either. It actually works better when you watch the first two episodes together. And they're only like 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes long. They're not... Oh, really? They're, they're the, yeah, they're half. They're, they're Netflix half hours. So mm. they're, they're anything from like, you know, 23 to you know 35 <laughs> minutes, basically. She's sort of stuck in this party she discovers that she's in this time loop. The first episode is quite a lot about her trying to figure out what's going on and whether she just took some bad drugs or whether it's something else. Right. Or It actually picks up quite a lot in the second episode as she as it happens sort of more and more and she's kind of just rolling with it a little bit more by that point. So, yeah, I, I did wonder how you were going to string this out over the period, you know, yeah. o- over a series, because it's one thing to do Groundhog Day for a movie. Mm. To do it for a an entire series and possibly then need to do a second season of it I that that's one of those those sort of things I I didn't see how that's going to work but they do I think by the end of the first episode or possibly by the start of the second episode she does start to get out of that first day Mm. and it rolls into the second day but every time she gets killed she ends up back at that starting point of the party and it's um, eight eight episodes is that right yes it's only eight episodes so it's not very long so it's actually only sort of four hours long yeah something like that so right. um, you know it's it's not hugely long series but um very very enjoyable interesting different off the wall quirky worth going to have a look at i think i might give that a go yeah i mean so it's been it's been sort of all over netflix of late in the past sort of week or so yeah. Um, so yeah I might uh, we watched a trailer but couldn't quite figure out what it was about so yeah I might give that a go and of course obviously we, we know the lead actress from yes, uh, Orange I mean, is the New Black yeah and she's she's great it's not a huge step away from kind of Nikki really she's sure. she's still sort of but we like that Jewish slightly <laughs> sarcastic you know I mean it's it's the same sort of thing you know so yeah so there's that the other thing which was on Netflix as well is uh, Night Flyers which I've only watched the first episode of at the moment it, it seems to have got mulled a little bit in the press this as in reviews I, but I enjoyed the first episode it's interesting and different based on a novella by George R. R. Martin oh, right. it is about a group of people who 
are on a spaceship. They are trying to head off on a mission to talk or make first contact with an alien species. And this is the first contact anyone has ever had with an alien species. The Earth is dying, so they're basically this alien species. They know have better technology and they want to go and try and get them to help. That's the idea. But the problem is they've been trying to communicate and they've not been hearing anything back. So what they've done is they've taken what they call an L1 with them, who is a a human who is highly psychic and has has, very high functioning psychic abilities and can push thoughts into other people's minds. So they're, they're hoping that the L1 they can use to communicate with them regardless of language difficulties and all that sort of stuff. But once the L1 is on board, weird things start to happen, weird horror type things start to happen on the ship. It's not entirely clear whether it is him that's causing them or whether something else is going on. You've also got this weird thing where the captain never leaves his quarters. He only ever appears in hologram form around the ship. Uh Um, So there's something weird going on with that as well. It's interesting. It sounds like the grounds for a pretty good mystery, actually. Yeah, I mean, I've been enjoying it. Yeah, I enjoyed the first episode. I will go and watch the rest of it. Uh, I think it's a sci-fi series in the US and then it's Netflix everywhere else. Yeah. I suspect they bought this as trying to replace The Expanse and I don't think it does that. The Expanse is probably a better show, but it's still interesting and different. So I yeah, I've, I'll be continuing watching it and I don't really do horror very much. You mm. know, I'm not a huge horror fan and there is it is definitely sci-fi slash horror this most definitely um <laughs> so i will go and watch the rest of it and uh, and i will report back once i've seen a bit more of it but it's intriguing so far so uh yeah there's worth going to check out i think and that's night flyers so they're both on uh, netflix right now so that's all the stuff we've been doing this week let's move on to some tv and film news <laughs> TV and film news this week. We've got renewals, cancellations, and pickups. Uh, first one, which I know upset quite a lot of people, Netflix has cancelled Travelers after three seasons, which is the Eric McCormack um, hymn of Will out of Will and Grace. Um, <laughs> it's it's his sort of sci-fi show. I think the third season was purely a Netflix show. It was a Canadian TV series, but they dropped it after two seasons, and now Netflix has dropped it after a third. They, they seem to bring it to a reasonable conclusion point at the end of the third season so it's not like it leaves things massively open-ended oh well that's good Uh, so although it is a shame to see it go at least it wrapped reasonably well they sort of left it open-ended ish but it's (laughs) it's sort of it wraps well enough i think that you you know for a cancelled series well worth going to check out it's quite complex it gets quite dense but it's worth going to check out this is the basic premise of it is that people are being sent back from the future except their physical bodies aren't being sent back their their minds are being sent back and pushed into people who are about to die so the person from the future gets pushed into that body and stops the death from happening saves them but then c- continues on that person's life and embeds themselves in that person's life right, wow. whilst they're forming out their missions that they're undertaking to try and stop a big catastrophic future event that's the sort of premise of it but i know it's now cancelled and it was cancelled it didn't officially come to an end but it is worth going to watch those three seasons they also have uh, announced that fuller house on netflix is being renewed for a fifth and final season not watched any of that so no idea whether it's any good or not <laughs> netflix has also renewed sex education for a second season which is a show i have 
haven't started yet, but he's getting oh, a lot yeah. of very positive reviews off people. Uh, yes, I say I was going to say I've I've heard a lot about it. Yeah, so I might go and check that out soon. Yes, I think that'll be worth watching. Especially, especially if there's going to be more. Yeah, gone down very, very well. Asa Butterfield and Gillian Anderson as a sort of the she plays a sex therapist. It's her son. Her son then gets roped into doing sex therapy for his friends at school. It seems to be the basis of it. That's the basic <laughs> premise. I will go and watch that at some point. Stan Against Evil has been cancelled after three seasons, which um, got a fairly mixed reaction when I, I posted that. It seems it's not a show I got round to watching, but it it seems that. It had come a bit the samey towards the end. Right. Um, so some people were saying, well, it's a shame, but I'm not overly surprised that it's gone. Shameless, the USA version of the uh, UK series, that has been renewed by Showtime for a 10th season. 10 seasons, wow. I know, considering I think the British one going for like four, something like that. So it's amazing, yeah, isn't it? It's a bit like the, the office and the US office, really. Oh, yeah. Homeland, the eighth and final season of that has been bumped to autumn due to international production demands, apparently. So uh, it was going to come a bit earlier in the year, but uh, it's 12-episode final season. It's been shot in location in Morocco, which is being substituted as Afghanistan. Basically, they're using Morocco as Afghanistan. Right. Uh, it sounds like there's been production issues and uh, or, you know, they're, they're just struggling to get it all done so they've decided that they're setting an autumn premiere date for that over on the cw they've basically renewed everything everything's <laughs> renewed uh, pretty much so all of the arrowverse shows so flash arrow legends and supergirl which i'm very happy about because i did wonder whether legends would end up getting canned because uh, i i adore that show but it is like the beaten stepchild of the uh, oh, no. <laughs> of, uh, of the <laughs> group it's, it's not quite an uh, i don't think his numbers are quite as high in the u.s but it's right. certainly the one that has the most rabid fan base I would say after all of them because the people will defend that show and I adore that show I think it's brilliant it's stupid and over the top but I absolutely love what they're doing with it they've also renewed Black Lightning Riverdale uh, Supernatural for its millionth season um, <laughs> and it, it actually hits 300 episodes I think this season wow. Charmed Legacies which is the Vampire Diaries spin-off and Dynasty has also been renewed as well so um, all looking good over at the CW so far I think they've got all the money it seems they've got the money it's well, over there it's it's just the nice thing about the CW is it's very very rare they cancel the show the show has to yeah. go down very badly and not fit at all I think the last thing they only cancelled Valor last season which was a military drama about helicopter pilots and didn't particularly go down very well and the CW is not really a place <laughs> where you, yeah, yeah. Uh, isn't really a isn't really a place where you would expect to see a military drama like yeah it's just not a CW show I mean you know great they tried it but it, it was never going to survive on that network so right. um, it's very very rare that they cancel anything at all so um, they have got a few shows coming to an end though so uh, things like iZombie are finishing and, and a few others so there's that over here Blue Bloods is moving to Sky Witness from Sky Atlantic, which makes perfect sense to me because it's it's a CBS show in the US and it doesn't really fit onto Sky Atlantic in the first place. It's kind of a standard police procedural, really. It's on its ninth season. They've now decided to move it from Sky Atlantic to Sky Witness and that sort of makes sense to me. It's coming back on the 25th of March in the UK for season nine. And also they have announced over on E4, Rick and Morty season one will premiere on the 15th of February 
Sorry, um, which obviously Rick and Morty is not sure whether it's still on Netflix, but it's up until recently. I think so it, it was on, and then it was off, and then it was back on again. <laughs> and I'm not sure whether it's going to end up having to come off again because the E4 have done this deal, uh, or rather, Channel Four have done this deal for all the adults film content. So as of right this second, all three seasons are on Netflix. Okay, so there you go. So it is still on Netflix at the moment. But uh, if you haven't got Netflix, Rick and Morty season one is coming to E4 on the 15th of February at 10 p.m. with a double bill. And if you've not seen Rick and Morty, go and watch it. It's hilarious. Worth a go. <laughs> Definitely worth a go. Also, uh, following that, there will be the Robot Chicken Walking Dead special, Look Who's Walking. That is coming at 11.05. Wow. So that will be after Rick and Morty. And that I'm very much looking forward to because I love Robot Chicken and it's been very hard to find legally anywhere in the UK. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm glad that they're they're back with that. Also on the 15th, the first first batch of the Adult Swim content will drop onto all four. So a whole bunch of different shows like, uh, what is it, Teen Aqua Force, I think is one. And I'm guessing a lot of the Robot Chicken stuff and uh, maybe some of the Rick and Morty stuff. So there's a whole load of Adult Swim content on the 15th going to drop onto all four. So go and check out all four on the 15th to find out what that is because they haven't given us a full list of, of everything. They've just said the first batch of those will be on there so uh, well worth going to look at particularly if you like animated series i think there's a few live action things in there as well but yeah. um the adults for an animation stuff was really fun moving on to bigger news stories dc have announced the batman movie called the batman will be <laughs> the, arriving, batman. the batman yes <laughs> will be arriving in 2021 into 25th of june 2021 that's the weird did they put a specific date on it well, not just a summer no they quite often they will do that because they right. want to warn other things out of the way if possible oh, I see, they, right. they, they sort of want to put exact dates on stuff because they don't want like marvel to release something the same weekend if they can help <laughs> it you know they don't want to be going up against whatever the latest marvel thing is or you know oh. other big franchise movies so sometimes they will do that just to try and kind of and, and i mean those dates can always move if somebody does yeah. decide that you know stuff dc we're going to put ours out that weekend then they can move it around but they are saying 25th of june 2021 for that uh this is the film that is coming from matt reeves so he was the director of uh the some of the planet of the apes films and felicity the tv series uh he's writing and directing it it was originally ben affleck that was going to be doing this film and then he stepped away from the writing and then the <laughs> directing and then starring in it yeah. so then he was in then he was out then yeah. he was in <laughs> so um it is going to be a new batman for this which throws the whole dcu thing completely up in the air once again sure. uh but i mean they've got like you know two jokers now because they've got two people playing joker they've got this coming out then they've got so it, I, I don't have a huge problem with them recasting batman they're actually going to set it earlier in the timeline so it'll be a younger batman anyway we don't know much more about it than that other than they said it won't definitely won't be an origin movie because i don't think anybody needs to see that again um but it will be batman earlier on in his career they've also said that it's not going to be based on frank miller's batman year one which is a sort of seminal classic frank miller comic book and set up a lot of where we are with the comic book yeah runs that was sort of a a definitive tentpole um that, that they built a lot of the current comic book mythology around they're not going to base it around year one which which makes sense because it it had some 
of of that sort of backstory in but it also had a lot of sort of batman in his first year as well he's saying that it's not going to be that he's also saying that it'll be a tale focused just on a tale that's defying for him and very personal to him at the same time we really obviously we're not doing an origin tale but definitely batman emotional and him being the world's greatest detective the thing that i like about that is he's actually talking about batman being the world's greatest detective which is something they've never really done yeah made a smart one you mean yeah made it made a you know batman actually detecting things rather than I liked, um, do you remember in The Dark Knight where he was running through the bullets that had gone in the wall and reconstructing what they might look like to get the fingerprint where he pushed the round in the clip? Yeah. That sort of thing, right? That is what we're after. Yeah. He's talking about it being more noir-driven, uh, investigating a particular case that takes us into the world of Gotham City. So. Yeah. I, this I, I like the idea that it is going to be. It sounds like it's going to be much more of a detective story, dark and yeah, the noir-driven kind of. I I I like where his head seems to be at with this. It seems to be a version that is much closer to the sort of comic book version that we've never really had properly on screen. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always been punchy Batman or you know <laughs> silly Batman, or it's been it's never been that kind of pure story detective driven kind of you know detective first and like hitting people later thing which yeah. i you know i i would like to see that this does bring up the question who are you going to put under the cowl okay dave you asked nicely i'll do it i'll do it <laughs> let's go i'll do it sign me up give me the cowl I'm maybe in. maybe well we've had one british batman before why can't we have another one sure uh, so, I mean, it depends. They've said they're going to go young. We don't know quite how young, but people like Kit Harrington are looking potentially for another role. I don't know, maybe. Now, yep. now with Game of Thrones, he's over, possible. Uh, Jamie Dornan would be an interesting one as well from Fifty Shades and The Fall. Yeah, uh, Jamie Dornan would be good, yeah. Army Hammer, I'm sure he would like his name to be in the mix, given that he's been <laughs> cast as Batman once already for a Justice League movie that never happened. So I think he'd be quite good. Um, I also mentioned Zach. Zach Efron, I think, would be quite interesting, both as, as yeah. I think he'd make a good Bruce Wayne and Batman, although I possibly I think he'd make a better Nightwing, actually. He would make it, well, maybe a few years ago. He's, he's, he's not a young man. No, but I think if you were having, I mean, if, if it was, I, I mean, not at the moment, but if you were keeping somebody that was more Ben's age as, sure, as Batman, yeah. then he'd make quite a good Nightwing to that, I think. Definitely. Um, I mean, I'd love to see more of that Bat family, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'd I'd love to see Damien Wayne on screen because Damien is just like a wonderful little psychotic Robin. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, one of my favourite characters in recent years in the Batman comic books. So I would love to see that on screen. Yeah. Um, but they are talking about going younger. Uh, Jack O'Connell, who was in Godless and Skins, that's a name that's been thrown around quite a lot. Yeah, that'd be good. I um, think he'd be very good. Taron Egerton, I would think, work quite well, potentially. He's from, is he? uh, Kingsman, is that right? Yeah, Kingsman. Uh, he's played Elton John recently in Rocket Man. He's done Robin Hood. I think he could do quite an interesting job as a as a sort of Batman as well, as a young Batman. Um, yeah. that, I mean, completely left a field choice, the other one, I thought. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah, sure, why not? I mean, you know, it's just something that would get him completely out of out of his normal casting roles. Yeah. Um, I don't know. 
be interesting. I don't think he'd necessarily want to sign up for a sort of franchise. But mm. uh, uh, And then, of course, Batman needs an Alfred. And the one name on my list, I thought, if you were going to have a younger Alfred, was Matthew Good, who, uh, I mean, at the moment he's playing a vampire in Discovery of Witches, so probably isn't available. But I, I think <laughs> he'd make an absolutely fabulous Alfred. So, uh, And people have mentioned him for Batman as well, but I, I, I think Alfred would be perfectly suited for him for that. So, um, yeah, don't know who's going to get that role, but whoever it is it apparently will arrive on the 25th of june 2021 so keep your ears open for uh for new possible people as batman coming up moving on to other news stories they've announced some casting for netflix's lock and key comic book adaptation lock and key for those of you who don't know it's a horror fantasy series that revolves around three siblings who after the gruesome murder of their father rendell are moved by their mother to their ancestral home in massachusetts once they arrive they discover that the house has magical keys that give them a vast array of powers and abilities little do they know that a devious demon also wants the keys and will stop at nothing to attain them sort of horror fantasy series with a sort of comic book edge um they've announced that uh, darby stanchfield is going to be playing the role of nina Locke, who is the mother of the family she moves them to get a fresh start but he's also trying to solve the mystery of her husband's murder she's an artist and house renovator and is struggling with her new role as a single parent Darby Stanchfield previously played Abby Whelan on Scandal and starred as Sharon Gibbs in NCIS as well. So uh, that's where you may know her from. They've uh, announced some other bits of um, casting as well. Lysander de Oliviero, who is uh, was from The Gifted, played Glow in The Gifted, and uh, Kevin Alves, who played Bat in Shadowhunters. They've also joined the class. Oliviero is playing Dodge, a beautiful and unpredictable sinister demon in human form that torments the Locke family. Alves is playing Javi, a colourable life of the party who doesn't take life too seriously, trying his best to persuade his new friend Tyler Locke to do the same uh, Tyler Locke's one of the children he's played by Connor Jessup who was in Falling Skies he played one of the sons in Falling Skies Emma Jones plays Kinsey who was in Utopia and House of Anubis and Jackson Robert Scott plays Bode who is the youngest child and he was in It recently Some good names in there yeah so, so Bode Kinsey yes yes great <laughs> names I managed to get through pronouncing them just about right I'm <laughs> <coughs> terrible at pronouncing names um so it's written by joe hill the uh, lock and key is written by joe hill who co-created the original comic book with gabriel rodriguez cotton uh, cotton cuss who was involved in the strain bates motel colony and lost and meredith avril who was involved in jane the virgin and the good wife are serving as showrunners and exec producing it so don't know exactly when this is going to land yet but if they're casting now chances are it's going to be end of the year at the earliest sometime we'll have to wait and see but uh i don't know interesting sounding series i guess and it's got yeah. the original comic book writer attached to it so. definitely good uh good ensemble looking thing uh, yeah yeah and it um you don't see that too often with the original um the comic writers mm. on it yeah no, it's it's kind of good that you know the one of the co-creators of the comic books he's he's doing it as well, which I think that's interesting. And last story is NBC has ordered an immigration comedy pilot from Carl Penn and Michael Sir. Michael Sir is the guy behind The Good Place. They've ordered it as a put pilot, and a put pilot basically means that NBC have to fork out a bunch of cash if they don't either go to series or air it in some way on TV. So <laughs> it's a fairly good chance that this. One 
will actually get a, a first season. Carl Penn, you will know from Designated Survivor. He was also in the Harold and Kumar movies. He actually took a break, break from acting. He was in Harold and Kumar. He was in How I Met Your Mother for a bit, and he was in House. Uh, he re- exited House rather swiftly to join the Obama administration as a sixth assistant director of the White House Office of Public Engagement. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, I remember that. Because when Obama calls, you go, I guess. Um, (laughs) Sure. So, so yeah, he's since gone back to doing acting and is playing Seth in the third season of Designated Survivor, uh, which was saved from cancellation last year by Netflix. So he's due back some point later on this year. The new show that they've created is uh, set in New York. It's a single camera comedy centres on Garrett Shah, who is played by Carl Penn. Uh, he's a former New York City councilman who finds his calling when faced with six recent immigrants in need of help and in search of the American dream. Because it doesn't give a huge amount away, really. That, But mm. uh, it's been written and exec produced by Carl Penn uh, alongside writer-producer Matt Murray, who was involved with The Good Place, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Rec. So kind of gives you an idea of the type of humour it's probably going Sounds to be. Sounds good. Uh, Michael Sir is um, exec producing as well. And like I say, he's the man behind The Good Place. Universal TV are serving as the studio. Don't know whether that will go any further than that. But yeah, interesting, I thought. Interesting group of, of uh, people to bring together. I yeah. like Carl Penn. You know, I love The Good Place. And uh, yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine's hugely popular. And so was Parks and Rec. So. And so was the Obama administration. So. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So uh, yeah, I, I think it gives you an interesting idea of what type of comedy it is. But we'll have to look out for that seat we don't have a name for it it's an untitled immigration comedy pilot at the moment at NBC so um, those sort of things do tend to work for NBC it's one of the few shows that they can actually get hold of and make work yeah so that's all the news for this week let's move on to the interview when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The interview this week is with the Green Book editor, Patrick J. Don Vito. Green Book is a movie you've probably heard quite a bit about. We've talked about it on various different podcasts, mainly because we've ended up interviewing a bunch of people from behind the scenes, but not about this. They've, we've got to the end of the interview and they've and said, what are you working on next? And they've gone, oh, I'm doing this film called Green Book. This is the first time we've actually had a chance to interview somebody about the actual film that was coming out that we've been hearing about for the past 18 months. So um, if you've not seen Green Book we talked a bit about it last week directed by Peter Farrelly who uh, mainly known for things like Dumb and Dumber and Shallow Hell so this is very much a departure for him I mean it's funny but it's far more serious than that the film depicts a relationship between real life classical musical virtuoso Don Shirley played by Mashahala Ali and his Italian American driver Tony Lip Vantaligro who is played by uh, Viggo Mortensen and they undertake a two-month-long concert tour through the American Deep South in the early 60s and uh, everything that that entails, obviously, with segregation and all that stuff. We got a chance to sit down with Patrick and talk to him about uh, editing the movie. He's worked a few times with Pete Farrelly before, but never on a full-length feature, I don't think. He's also done work on things like Austin Powers, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Black Dog. So he's experienced editor. This is an interview with him just talking about Green Book, what it's like to edit a movie like that. 
obviously it's up for a million different awards and it's already won some already I think it won Best Picture at the Golden Globe so it's a fabulous fabulous film if you've not gone out and seen it yet I really highly recommend it here's Patrick talking about Green Book we will see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on TV It's lovely to have you come on and talk a bit about your work. The film Green Book is something I've been aware of for, I don't know, about 18 months or so. (laughs) Um, It's ridiculous. It got to the stage where... Every time we interviewed somebody, they were like, I was like, sort of, what are you doing next? Oh, I'm going to work on this film called Green Book. Because <laughs> so, I, I ended up, I interviewed for, for the other projects. I interviewed Betsy Hyman, who's the costume okay, designer, yeah. Chris Bowers, music, yeah. uh, Tara Day, who's the makeup head, Lawrence Davis, <laughs> who's the personal hairstylist for Mashahara Ali. Uh, I mean, I, I, and every time this film came up. So although I've interviewed a lot of people involved with it, you're the first person we've actually spoken to that's actually about Green Book, the film. <laughs> well, I'm honored. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, it's, I'm very happy to have you on. We could actually talk to somebody about it. I saw the film over the weekend and uh, I absolutely love it. It's it's wonderful. Thank it's you. a really, really lovely film. Deserves all the awards it's being nominated and won already. Definitely. Before we get into the movie itself, let's just do a little bit of background. Um, how did you get into film editing in the first place? Ah, well, I went to Chapman University in the city of Orange here in California, right. Southern California. Yeah. And then uh, I, I just studied everything. I tried my hand at directing. I tried sound. I tried a lot of the jobs in film. And I just kind of gravitated towards editing by the end. I was doing a student film. My senior film was this 20-minute horror comedy. <laughs> and so I, I was cutting that. And I got an internship with a TV show in post-production. So that kind of gave me a little bit of inroads. And I met people there. When I graduated, they needed a runner. And so I said, yeah, absolutely. And I went back to the show and basically drove around and picked up stuff for them. (laughs) And that's how I got into it. I basically learned from editors and assistants that were there. And then from there, it was the the next job was Jason Goes to Hell. I was an apprentice uh, editor, which was really fun. I got to walk through the morgue set every day to my office. So my (laughs) office was in the morgue. It was, there was a door and that was my room. And uh, it was very fun. Got to, yeah, I walked out one day and Kane Hodder, who plays Jason, was amping himself up because that's what he'd do. Every time he had to go out and kill on screen, he would blast Metallica in these headphones and <laughs> stomp around. And I was like, OK. And I walked over to kind of get a picture. And so I gave my camera to someone and I stood next to him and he right at the last second, he turned and grabbed me by the neck and like ch- pulled me down and choked me out. The pictures. <laughs> It's me just being choked out by Jason. <laughs> That's fabulous. But it was it was one of those Hollywood moments where you go, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is crazy. Yeah. Uh, but that's it slowly just went from job to job. And uh, I worked my way up. I worked with an editor named Deborah Neil Fisher as her assistant for, for a while. And then finally, I got my first shot with a director that we had both worked with on a TV movie. Right. And then another, another director we both worked with on a feature. And so it was all the contacts I'd made along the way were the ones that got me to this point. As with everything in film, there is a certain amount of who you know. (laughs) Yep. You've uh, worked with the director of Green Book, Peter Fallaly, before on a few different things. But uh, so presumably that's how you ended up working on Green Book because of that. that that we didn't uh, we never did a feature together so we did uh we did movie 43 but that was a kind of a different piece yeah it's bits wasn't it yeah yeah and then we did a pilot 
Um, right. So that was literally from start to finish, shooting to finishing three and a half weeks. Wow. As pilots, they don't give you any time. No, no, that's very true. And so that was really hard. That was hard, but it was it was great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I always liked it. I always liked working with him and I always thought he'd do something dramatic. So when this came up, it was I found out that he was doing this kind of different movie for him. And so I emailed him and the producers and said, hey, if you don't have a, an editor yet, I'd love to throw my name in the hat. And so mm. I got put in the pod and it was down to me and I think two or three others and uh, I ended up getting it. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah. There's kind of an interesting story about how the film got made in the first place as well, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a funny story about how Pete ran into, Pete basically knew one of the other writers, Brian, yeah. and he'd been an extra, been a, been a, a, a featured person in his, some of his movies, um, little bit parts. Yeah. And so they were friendly. And he ran into him and said, hey, what are you doing? Brian says, I'm writing this movie about this you know, this guy. And he tells him the story. And Pete goes, that's amazing. I want to let me know when you're done with it. I want to read it. Mm. And a few months later, he called him and said, what's happening with the script? And yeah. he said, what script? The one about the bouncer. Oh, we haven't even started it yet. And Pete <laughs> said, call Nick, the other writer, and let's all start it on Monday. And so Nick had to meet Pete and then he liked him. And then they all started working on writing it. Yeah. Just amazing. Amazing. Yeah, really, really good. When did you get involved? Because, I mean, obviously, with, with editing something, there's there's the possibility you can just be kind of thrown on at the end. But I, I'm assuming you were you were involved much earlier than that with this. And you, were you there right at the beginning and working was, throughout? Or? Yeah, I was hired. I was basically trying to get the job uh, two or three months before they were supposed to start. Right. And it got pushed a little bit. But I got the job, of the approval, like probably a month before. And I was there in New Orleans with the crew cool. about uh, two days before shooting started. So I set up and, and just would work day to day and try to keep up with dailies as they came in. Try not to get too far behind so that I could basically suggest if there were things missing or if Pete wanted to see a scene right away because he was worried about something, I could get it together quickly and show it to him. And so that's kind of why he wanted me there. I've worked other movies where I've stayed here in L.A. and They've gone on location, but uh, mm. but they wanted me there. It makes more sense, I guess, to be able to have you putting stuff together like nearby, you know. Yeah. When you're putting Green Book together, how close are you sticking to the original script? Because the old thing about it sort of put together three times, once in the script, once by the director and, yeah. and, and once by the editor. So how close are you ending up sort of sticking to the script and sort of how many versions are you going through as, you, as you're mm. developing it? Well, I tried the first time through, I try to stick to the script. Yeah. Um, because that's what they expect. Yeah. But I also, if there's ad libs that I like that are interesting, I'll put them in too. I'll try to put everything in just so that the director can see what they have. And then as I'm doing it, I'll come up with the ideas and I'll do alternates, but I won't show them right away because I feel like the director has to be ready to see the alternates. Mm. And if they haven't seen the original yeah. and haven't gone through the process of going, of saying, I don't think this is working, they're not ready to see the alternate yet. Yeah. And so, you have to be very careful about like how how you introduce that stuff. And so I always start with the script and then work from there and do alternates. And then Pete, well, we are in location. I'd get kind of free reign during the week. And then uh, Pete would come in on a Saturday and we'd go through cuts and make notes. And then I'd get the next week to work. So it was very kind of freeing for me because I could just be by myself and just really absorb the footage and try things and not have to worry about somebody behind my back, really, and trying to wanting to see everything. So yeah. that was really great. I always find the job of an editor kind of fascinating because you are the the one person throughout everybody
anybody other than maybe the director that actually gets to see absolutely everything, you know, because mm-hmm. you're going through all the footage. And that always seems like it must be a hell of a job just putting everything together. Sometimes it's it's unwieldy. I mean, you definitely have, depending on the director and how much they shoot mm-hmm. and how many alternates, you know, a lot of the comedies I've worked on, they're just chock full of alternate gags, alternate jokes, yeah. because they want to be uh, have backups in case things aren't working well. Mm. Or they're on the set and they come up with a great idea and let's just throw this in. Or they have actors ad libs, you know, and so that just multiplies the footage yeah. and the options. And so it's really about finding the tone of the movie, the right tone. Because mm. even with comedy, I've come on to fix movies and generally when I've done that, it's movies that shift tone. Like they'll start in one comedic way and then they get broad and then they come back down and it's like, okay, where did that broad scene come from? That's weird. Uh, it doesn't fit in the movie. So you've got to try to keep, it's very difficult to change tone. And so that's that was the challenge here with this is, you know, going back and forth between comedy and drama is carefully and not making it silly, making sure the comedy comes from the natural uh, scenes, the actions, the character and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things about Green Book is, I mean, you're dealing with something which is fairly sensitive and serious subject of sort of racism and this relationship between these two people. But it's incredibly funny. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some wonderful sequences in there. I mean, particularly things like the fried chicken sequence. Uh, when they're both in the car which I just had me laughing I it really just the way that they develop that I, I I thought between the pair of them is just so wonderful the looks on the looks on Mahershala's face yeah. are priceless yeah just wonderful uh, I love that scene when you're dealing with things like that is it harder having a film like this which is has got a lot of those scenes which are literally just the two guys um, and you know a lot of it in the car kind of cutting backwards and forwards is it harder dealing with something like that than it is with sort of bigger ensemble movies yeah it's, well it's interesting it's different right it is it is hard because you don't want to overstay your welcome in like the car because it feels like if you're in the car for too long you don't want people to feel bored right Mm. so i was always kind of really aware of every line what's necessary for the scene can we lose this line can we tighten this up and trim it because you just don't want people to be looking at their watches because when you're in a car, you have a limited number of angles to show. Yeah. So you don't have a lot of options to show. You can show, there's usually, you know, generally two shots and some close-ups and maybe one or two other shots. And then you can go outside the car for a driving shot if you want to. So you don't have a lot of options mm. and you're relying on the performances. And and the, the great thing about the car shots was that between the acting and the, uh, the camera work, it was phenomenal. I could use that two shot a lot. So when you're in the front of the car and you can see them both and they're interacting, it's so wonderful to have that. That interaction on camera without any cuts and every time the camera would rack focus it was perfect it was just impeccable job by sean the dp and his crew mm. and so having both those together it really made it a lot better cutting those scenes and then you know in the overall scheme of things is when you start to trim stuff down we trim stuff out of the car sequences so that it feels like we're pushing forward it never feels like we're lingering too long in a scene yeah i you talk about cutting things out there w- was there anything that you were you you were sort of forced to, to cut out either you know, for, for time or because it just didn't fit that you kind of would have loved to have put back in or have kept somewhere. And there was a great scene. I knew it, uh, well, a part of it, part of the car scene that it went, it was funny, but it went for two reasons. Uh, they were in the car and it was after the first concert when the, the woman who was announcing him said he had played for the White House. Right. And so Tony Lip is asking, 
Don Shirley about, oh, so you played for the White House. And, and basically it comes down to Don Shirley saying, yeah, you know, JFK is a personal friend of mine. <laughs> and then he, you look over at Tony and he's, he starts laughing and says, oh, yeah, who's the bullshit artist now? You know, <laughs> he doesn't believe him. And yeah. so it's funny. But what happened was the scene just went on a little too long. Yeah. And also we thought later we have the phone call from Bobby Kennedy. And so if putting in the sequence where he's good friends with JFK, yeah. does that tip the bot do you then know who's on the phone do you yeah, know who yeah maybe so we just thought let's lose it we actually use the laugh though later in a montage when they're driving around and going from city to city and you see tony laughing and then don Shirley lipping like eyes in the road and you see a map in the bottom left corner right yeah that, yeah. Was, that was the laugh from the jfk scene right okay yeah so that yeah. was actually it was actually put in but not the dialogue just the laugh yeah that makes a lot of sense actually it's perfectly well i think yeah what was sort of the biggest deviation from the script to the final movie it wasn't so much i mean it's such a linear sort of movie so you can't move scenes around right because uh, it's it takes place into order so i'd say um you've got the sequences where he's playing are shortened down and recut but uh there was a scene where dolores is reading the letter to her family that we did kind of a fun reorder to um right. that was the scene where she's reading the letter and then we go to the guys playing poker for a joke about Michelangelo. And then we come back, she finishes a letter. The relative says, I want a letter. And the husband <laughs> says, yeah, as soon as you make a meal. Yeah, right? yeah. Great joke. The way that worked originally, though, is that was in the middle of the scene. It actually was Dolores reading the letter in its entirety. And then it went to the as soon as you make a meal joke. Then we went back to the table for all the conversation with the, the poker playing. And then we had another joke at the end. Right. And the thing was, the joke at the end wasn't as good as this as the other joke. And then it just kind of compartmentalized the whole thing. And so we said, why don't we just put that joke at the end and let her continue the letter over them at the poker table. And then it was a lot smoother and you had a better transition out. And that's mm. really what I try to do in this movie is make transitions from scene to scene seamless. Yeah. And it goes on from that to like, you know, a montage after that, which includes that JFK laugh. Yeah. yeah. And then it ends with applause. And that wasn't there originally either. So normally we went to the car in the rain, but the car in the rain, the sound of the rain sounded a lot like applause. So we had him finish the music, they all applaud, and then we cut these other applause pieces from other sequences we pulled that, 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 we, that weren't used and created applause, louder, louder, rain, so that it, it's a smooth transition from one scene to the next. And so that was always the a conscious effort of getting from one scene to the next in the, in the smoothest way possible. That's a really nice use of the sound. Yeah. Do you have a favorite scene from the film? Ah, so many. Um, I, the chicken scene is great. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love the, 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 when Doris reads the letter, that whole scene is very funny. I love the scene in the rain when he tells him if I'm not white enough, I'm not black yeah. enough man enough great yeah. scene you know the scene after the chicken when they're in the plantation there was about a five minute chunk cut out of that and really it was for time and it was you know not as funny as the chicken itself so we cut it out but basically they're they they get to the plantation they say we've made a special meal for you and he opens it up and it's fried chicken they smile <laughs> they look at each other and then we go on to the next scene right yeah well that needs to go on for another five minutes where tony tries to eat the chicken with a knife and a fork can't do it picks it up with his fingers then gets everybody to pick up the chicken with their fingers and everybody at the table is eating with their hands right right yeah and so then it goes to the next scene and it was funny but it was unnecessary and it was hard to cut too because we had you know the director's son was an extra in that scene right. so he had to actually say i'm gonna cut my son out of the movie and so <laughs> He did, you know, to his credit, he knew that it had to go. So, you know, they talk about killing your babies. Yeah. And that was 
literally killing your baby. You have wow. to get him out. But that was a, it was a fun scene, but five minutes we didn't need. So getting that out was actually a good thing. Yeah, it makes sense. You wouldn't have think of this film as an effects movie, but mm-hmm. I was reading somewhere, there is a ridiculous amount of effects shots in this. <laughs> yes, over 400 effects. Yeah, which is insane. I mean, what, what uh, I, I love effects that are like that, where you really just don't see them because yeah. you wouldn't at all. I mean, there, there are things that when you think about it, obviously, you know, there's going to be set extensions and there's going to be deleting buildings out because things that are modern and you're where you're shooting and stuff. Yep. What are some of the other more sort of surprising effects in that? Yeah, we had the, the, the modern stuff, cameras and things that are on the streets and <laughs> signs that are, are modern and we had to get get rid of. Uh, a wacky one was the car. The car at the last minute, they got the last minute and it had a tear in the roof inside and the, the hook was rusty and it's supposed to be a brand new Cadillac. Yeah. So we had to go in and fix the roof and delete the hook <laughs> on every single shot, which was about 85% oh. of the car shots. Oh, so those. my. Yes. That's crazy. That's crazy. Mahershala playing piano. Yeah, that's an effect. Yeah, I heard that. Because I, I was going to ask, yeah, how did you do that? That's f- yeah. a phenomenal bit of um, it's work. crazy. They, yeah. uh, they basically, um, what happened was Mahershala studied piano with Chris Bowers, the composer, for two yeah. or three months. And he wanted to be able not really to play, but play a little bit, but also to have the stance, the, the, the posture of a pianist, yeah. uh, know where to look and how to place his hands, kind of get close. So then they, we'd shoot the scenes with both. We'd shoot Mahershala playing and we'd shoot Chris Bowers playing. And, but basically, we were taking Mahershala's head and putting it on Chris Bowers' body. <laughs> That's basically what we were doing. And then we were changing... Because they have different skin tone, we had to roto the hands and change the skin tone so that it matched the face. Wow. And so that was a a chunk of stuff and looks phenomenal. And we even fooled Steven Spielberg. He got to see the movie. And this was an early version with temp effects that weren't even the finals. And he goes, does does Mahershala play piano? And I said, oh, yes, we got him. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's the scene of approval. Yeah, that's that's what you want. If you can fool Steven Spielberg, you know you've done a good job. Exactly. There's another great shot too. The the bridge shot when they're leaving town at the beginning, when they're leaving New York, mm. that is so completely created. It's crazy. So that shot was a stock shot, a modern stock shot with like uh, Priuses and stuff on the road. So <laughs> we obviously can't have that, right? Yeah. So they took the stock shot. They took the wires coming down on the, on the bridge, took them out, took all the cars out. M- mind you, it's a double decker. There's cars underneath too. Right, yeah, yeah. So Got to do that level too. They relayed down blacktop and then they put in those, all the cars that are in that shot are 3D digital cars. They're not real. <laughs> yeah. All of them. And wow. that shot, I thought, I thought that's going to, they're never going to get it right. It's going to look fake. And then finally it came to me. It took months and months to do that shot. And it came to me. I'm like, holy cow, they did it. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty impressive uh, work. Uh, Pixel Magic did our effects and yes, well, they did a really good job. That was probably the most expensive shot in the movie, actually. <laughs> I think it was like $25,000 or something like that. <laughs> that's crazy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, hats off to Pixel Magic. That's, uh, that's phenomenal work yeah. that they, they've done there. So um, last couple of questions for you yeah. that we, we ask everybody. Question number one, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? Gosh, you know what I just saw that I really like is there's a new HBO show called Black Monday. Oh, right. Yes. We haven't had that yet, but we are getting it at some point. So um, I'm, uh, There's only been a couple episodes so far, but I'm really digging that. Yeah, that's um, Don. It's Don Cheadle, isn't it? That one. Don Cheadle. Yep. Um, and who's the producer? It's uh, what's his name has produced it. Um, it's a Seth Rogen show, is it? Seth yeah. Rogen, yes. So it has a lot of comedy in it. It's very 80s actually you know and you know who does the music chris bowers no does he really i'll have to get chris on again because it's been a while since we spoke to him so i'll have to get chris bowers back on again 
But, uh, and it's very different for him. It's all like 80s sounding music. So it's not what, he, you know, he's a classically trained pianist. So yeah, yeah. it's totally different vibe for him. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, so I dig that show. Um, you know, I still watch, I still watch Survivor. It's one of those guilty pleasures that I, you know, <laughs> yeah. when I was working on Dennis Dugan's movie, um, Saving Silverman, I was in Vancouver and we had to go to the lab every day to watch dailies. And so this was the coolest lab ever. They had a bar with beer taps in the lab. <laughs> and so inevitably we'd get there early and, and the set hadn't wrapped. And so we're waiting around for them to show up and like, well, we're tapping some beer and, and we're watching Survivor. <laughs> and so that's what we do. We sit and watch and That was the first season of Survivor. And well, so ever since then, it's kind of been that year was like the year when I started dating my wife too. So there was, we have kind of this kind of a connection to, yeah, to yeah. that show. So it's kind of like, it's one of those things like we're it's silly, but we we love watching it. Um, yeah. I do want to see True Detective this season, but I haven't started watching that yet. I haven't had time to do that. I've seen the first episode of it. I've got to get a bit more. That was again, that has a connection to this because not only is it Mashal Ali in True Detective this season, when I interviewed Lawrence Davis, they literally just started shooting. He was on set in a car Skyping with me when we did the interview with Lawrence. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. And the last question would be, if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, past, present or future, which TV show would it be? Oh, gosh. What popped in my head, because as a kid, it was my favorite TV show, The Six Million Dollar Man. Ah, yes. Awesome. I <laughs> loved that show. I mean, every time that show was on, it was right at the cusp of my bedtime. So... Uh, <laughs> When the show was over, my mom was always, all right, it's time for bed. I'm like, no, I got to see the, what's coming next on next week's show. <laughs> um, so, so that, and I had the dolls, I had the, you know, six million dollar man and I had the maskatron and I had all those, all that stuff. So yeah, I would probably say that that's the first thing that popped in my head. Classically majors TV show. That was, yes. it's one that they've never actually got around to trying to remake. They've done, they did the female version, didn't they? They did the Bionic Woman. They, there was a remake of that a yeah. while back, but there was almost a feature version done with Jim Carrey. Ooh, yes. Ooh, I'm glad that never ago. made it. Yeah. Never made it. So thankfully, it's always, yes. poss always possible. They make it too dark now is the problem. Yeah. That's the way things are now. You take all the, the stuff that was kind of fun and like from the 80s, 70s and stuff, and you just make it darker. And that's how you fix it for modern times. But if they were going to remake a Lee Majors show for me, The Fall Guy is the one oh I'd go for. <laughs> I loved that series as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one I'd go for. But yeah, I'm surprised they've not remade it yet, but I'm sure it'll happen at some point. At some point, yeah. The nostalgia will come back and at some point uh, someone will do it. It would be a good show again. I think it should come back as a TV show. I think CBS, that, that would be the... Uh, they, they they like remaking everything. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anything with a decent theme tune, CBS seems to be going for for remakes at the moment. <laughs> they've got Magnum, <laughs> they've got Hawaii Five-0. <laughs> Another oh reason to bring back the full guy. <laughs> Too funny. Well, thank you for, for coming on spending a bit of time uh, it's been lovely talking to you absolutely my pleasure i'd ask you what you're going to do next but i imagine the answer will be you can't tell me so <laughs> well i'm not sure exactly next but i do have a movie that's not out yet oh cool what's, what's that and that's called three christs oh and it's a true story a 60 story again richard Gere is the doctor he's a psychiatrist and he's got three patients who all think they're jesus christ <laughs> And so he decides to put them in a room together on, a, on the same ward and see what happens when they live together day to day. If they give up their delusions, if they fight over who's really the real Christ. <laughs> 
And so the three Christs are Peter Dinklage right. from Game of Thrones, yeah. uh, Walton Goggins, who's been in everything. He's oh, yeah, amazing. Yeah. And um, Bradley Whitford. Oh. So Bradley Whitford is the third Christ. And he's like amazing. They're all great. And we've even got like Kevin Pollock's in it. Juliana Margulies is in it. Yeah. So it's a great cast. We made it for $5 million. Super low budge. Wow. That so, sounds fabulous. It's really, really interesting. It's a difference. It has comedy in it. It's more dramatic, but it does have you. You can't. I mean, three people think they're Christ. There's going to be laughs. Yeah. So it has to be. So there is comedy, but it's definitely more cerebral, more serious, and uh, a different sort of movie than Green Book. So I hope people get to see that. I don't know when it's going to come out, but uh, hopefully this year at some point it will come out. Crazy cast and definitely one I will be uh, keeping an eye out for. So uh, I will uh, I will look out for that. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on and talking. I will hopefully have you back on at some point in the future when you've got another film out. That would be great. So have a great day. Thanks. You too. Take care. Bye. So that was the interview with uh, Patrick J. Don Vito, the editor for Green Book. Uh, Green Book is still out in cinemas right now. So if you've not seen it, go out and watch it. It's brilliant. Well, well worth going to watch. Now on to some highlights for next week on TV. So highlights for next week on TV. Having had a fairly short list last week, we're back to a slightly longer list this week. Yeah, um, it certainly is. Look at all of them. Yeah. We're starting to see shows returning as well. So uh, mm. starting with Grey's Anatomy, that's back for the second half of its 15th season. That's on uh, 6th of February at 9pm. That's back. That will be followed by Station 19 Season 2. That's uh, not halfway through its season. That's that's the start of its season. So uh, I don't know whether there are any crossovers, but Station 19 is a spin-off of Grey's. So... I'm assuming if they're crossovers, they'll get them to match up. But uh, right. that's, Interesting. Yeah, so I don't know, though. Um, <laughs> Station 19, that's arriving straight afterwards. So that's uh, 6th of February, 9pm for Grey's Anatomy, 6th of February at 10pm for Station 19. Das Boot, which is the German language uh, TV sequel to the classic war movie. That's coming to Sky Atlantic on the 6th of February at 9pm. They were going to do it late last year and then they dropped it and moved it to here for whatever reason. But uh, <laughs> yes, German language that is, so it'll be all be subtitled. But uh, it's a little mini season for that if you want to go and watch that. Burden of Truth, second season of that is arriving on Universal TV on the 7th of February at 9pm. Um, I quite enjoyed the first season of this. I mean, it's a fairly standard procedurally sort of thing, but I, I thought it was it was nicely put together. Um, it's about a big lawyer that comes to a hometown to sort of defend a, a case for a pharmaceutical giant and ends up sort of switching sides and defending the sick kids instead. That's very much kind of changed the setup for the second season as well. So I'm interesting to see where that goes. Mm. Also this week, The Expanse season three, finally coming to Amazon Prime on the 8th of February. If you remember, Spence, The Expanse season one and two were on Netflix. Then it got dropped in America. So Amazon saved it but that meant that internationally everywhere that it was showing on Netflix it had to move on to Amazon Prime so we've had a bit of a delay on the third season which has already gone out in the US so the third season is arriving on the 8th of February the fourth season will follow later on in the year if you've not seen any of the expanse and you have Amazon Prime season one and two will also be on there from the 8th of February as well 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 worth going to watch if you like sci-fi it's a brilliant brilliant like expansive sci-fi <laughs> thing called the expanse so 
go watch that. Yes, very good. Uh, also, New Amsterdam coming to Amazon Prime on the 8th of February. This stars the Blacklist's Ryan Eggold. It's a, about uh, the New Bellevue Hospital's director's maverick approach to disrupting the status quo while prioritising patient care. So it's a medical drama. It's an odd one for Amazon to pick up this because it's a, it's a fairly normal procedural medical drama. And, yeah, right. You know, you'd expect it on Sky Witness or, or Universal or something like that. Mm. But for some reason, Amazon Prime has picked it up, which is fine. Sure. As long as it's somewhere, I don't care, you know. Right. Daring <laughs> somewhere. But uh, New Amsterdam, that's called, and that's on the 8th of February, Amazon Prime are getting that. If you're a fan of Big Mouth, they have a Valentine's Day special, apparently, right. coming. That's on the 8th of February. That's that's arriving. Uh, you've been watching this, haven't you? Oh, yeah, big fan of Big Mouth. Uh, really looking forward to this, yeah. So, uh, yes, yeah, so it's a one-off special. don't know when the next season's coming, but, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely worth going to watch that more homegrown stuff Endeavour is back for its sixth season that's on ITV on the 10th of February at 8pm Young Inspector Morse that is back uh, over on Netflix on the 10th of February Patriot Act with Sam Minaj that is uh, coming back for the second half of its first season this is is sort of if you like the daily showy type things yeah. um, it's that sort of stuff except he takes one topic and focuses on one topic a week and does sort of half an hour 20 it's like 25 minutes half an hour on one particular topic there was an episode he did on saudi arabia which they pulled but i think they ended up then putting it up on youtube so it got pulled off netflix but i think then the guys behind the show then just released it on youtube anyway that's good so, so um, um is it is it like stand-up he does or has it yeah it's 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 political stand-up essentially right. and it's him talking through a particular issue so i'm trying to think i think he's done things like gun violence and he's done yeah like i say saudi arabia he did he did a thing on amazon so he just picks a topic and then does half an hour on talking about that particular topic but it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant if you like a Sam Minaj um, and uh, you should go and watch his stand-up first because his stand-up fantastic that's on Netflix as well but um, yeah go and watch Patriot Act it's not topical to the point that you're going to miss something if you go back and watch the first season right either you know it's not like the daily show in that that's sort of topical daily so there's no point in going back to old episodes of it particularly it is timely-ish but not to the point of you need to watch it like weekly sure. so you can go back and watch the whole of the first season and it's interesting and funny and uh very very good i thoroughly recommend that but that's patriot act 10th of february for that blind spot is back for the second half of its fourth season that's on the 11th of february at 10 p.m i love that show that's going to be great to have that back then uh walking dead walking dead is back uh, for the second half of its ninth season it's been good the ninth season i've i've been enjoying it so far we've that didn't sound like the tone of someone who's well, enjoying television yeah. it's been good yeah it's more the surprise after season eight was a bit kind of like wading through treacle right. at times. <laughs> I'd, season nine has been good. And, uh, you know, they've obviously they lost a few characters early mm. on, but I've been enjoying where they're going with this. And I'm, I'm the Whisperers, which is the new storyline. I'm very much looking forward to seeing where they go with that. So that is back for in the second half of season nine, which also means that the Walking Dead UK podcast is back. So you can go find that over at Entertainment Talk, which is me and Matt. 
Matt doing that weekly. Uh, 11th of February at 9pm for that. That goes up against on the 11th of February at 9pm on Sky Witness, Criminal Minds. That's back for the second half of that season. And then more UK stuff, uh, Shetland season five of that comes to BBC One, which is murder mystery set in, well, Shetland. Uh, <laughs> that uh, Douglas Henshaw is uh, the star of that. And that's on the 12th of February at 9pm. And that's everything for this week, unless you've got anything else you want to add in. No, all set. Go and watch uh, The Green Book. Yes, go and watch Green Book. Go and watch Patriot Act. Go and watch a whole bunch of other things as well. There's <laughs> lots, lots and lots of TV out there for you to go and watch. If you want to find out more information about the latest TV air dates throughout the week go to geektown.co.uk and uh, you can find all the latest news and air date stuff uh, if you want to get in touch with your questions and comments email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk leave a message on the website post find us at geektown on twitter on facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown on youtube at youtube.com forward slash geektown and on instagram at geektown uk that is everything we shall see you next week bye 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 everyone Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.